We're going to talk about the subject of forgiveness, and uh, heavy subject, right? <laughs> I know. So I made some jokes that will help us get along, you know, help us start up there so we don't, like, you know, descend, descend into utter depression in our, in our time together. No, I'm just kidding. But I do have some jokes, though. So somebody asked, um, you know, what you need to do in order to get salvation, salvation from, or forgiveness of sin. What do you need to do to get forgiveness of sin? And then another guy said, well, you need to sin. <laughs> it's still reaching the back rows. It's, it's, it's a traveling joke. <laughs> well, I guess then we all qualify, right? I certainly qualify for forgiveness of sin because I've sinned. And uh, um, so, but little Johnny thought a little better of himself. And um, so he wanted a red bicycle for Christmas. And so he said, Mom, I want a red bicycle for Christmas. And Mom said, well, you, you haven't been a good boy, you know. I don't think Santa's going to be interested in giving you a red bicycle. And he was like going on, going on. And so she said, well, why don't you write a letter to God explaining to him why you need to have a red bicycle for Christmas? So Johnny is up there in his room and he's writing, Dear God, I've been a great boy this whole year. And then the conviction of the Holy Spirit hits him and he goes like, all right, I'm not, that's, that's, that's not true. He starts over, he writes, Dear God, I've been a good boy this year. And he's like, there was that time. Okay, hold on. Let's try this again. He writes the third letter. He's like, God, I've been... Hey, Mom, is there another way to go about this? <laughs> and, so, and so Mom says, well, yeah, you can go to church and confess your sin and see, you know, if, they, you know, if, if, if the priest says you can, you can have a red bicycle. And so puts on his coat, walks to church, gets into, this, into the sanctuary, and, and there's nobody there. It's like dead quiet. And so he's like, wait a minute, this is the opportunity. So he walks up to this, into, into the sanctuary, up to the altar, and, and he snags the statue of Mary, puts it in his coat, runs home. He's like, hey, Mom, I'm going to do the letter after all. He goes up to his room, starts writing his letter. Dear God, I have your mother. If you want her back, I'll expect a red bicycle for Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> because we do not want to forgive, right? We try to get our way around that thing, and it's like, oh man, how do I ask for forgiveness? How do I forgive other people? It's just this topic that is such a difficult thing to deal with, and we're going to tackle it head on today. So get your Bible out. It's Matthew 18. Um, we're going to be reading. I only have the most important parts of it on the screen, so you want to you get your device out on page to Matthew 18 so you can follow the whole story. But I'm, I'm starting to read from 23, uh, 18 verse 23. It says, Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts. Everybody say this, settle accounts, settle. with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, I did, I did some research, and I'm going to show you what, what, what a talent is right now. A talent is about 20 years' worth of wages for a laborer. Okay, you can, you can make the math where you are at right now. But for this guy, it means literally about 4,000 lifetimes' worth of wages that he owned, owed this guy. What's the message here? It's not possible to pay it back, right? Okay, so we got that. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold, his wife and children, and all that he had so that a payment could be made. The servant fell to his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, I will repay you. Out of pity for him, the master said to that servant, I release you and I forgive you your whole debt. When the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and here's what a hundred denarii looks like. <laughs> it's about a hundred days worth of wages. So this guy owed him about a, a third of a year worth of lab, labor in wages, and Yet he owed the other guy 4,000 lifetimes of wages. However, this is what he did. He seized him and began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. And so his servant fell on the, down, on the ground, pleaded with him, have patience with me, I will, I will pay you. But he refused, and he went and put him in prison until he should pay his debt. 
Now, when his fellow servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed. And they reported this to the master. And he summoned the servant and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, the master delivered him to the jailers to be tormented until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. It's just got real, didn't it? First point I would like to make today is that forgiveness is not a suggestion. It's a command from the Lord. Forgiveness is something God tells us that we need to do regardless of the offense. I want to read from you Ephesians 4. It says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Just as in Christ God forgave you. Remember the unpayable debt? Well, in this scenario, that's us. That's us. We have an unpayable debt before God. There is absolutely nothing and no way we can do enough to pay for our sin. Colossians 3.13 says, Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you or hurts you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, and so you must forgive others. This is huge. It's not a suggestion. It's a command. The second thing is there are no limitations on who we should forgive or how many times. Let's read Matthew 18, 21. Then Peter came to the, to the Lord and said, Jesus, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? And then he thought he was going to be real smart, like and use a holy number, right, to kind of go up to seven times. You know, wow, I'm really good. And then Jesus says to him, no, I tell you what, not seven times, but 70 times, seven times. And what's he really saying? He's not saying do the math. He's saying just keep going. Begin and don't stop. Never stop forgiving. That's what he's saying. But that's hard, isn't it? Because you might sit there and think like, hey, man, you don't know what was done to me. You don't know what I am going through right now. And you'll be right. I don't know. What I do know is that when a loving father, which is what we've got, tells me to do something, he has a purpose in mind that is for my life, not for my suffering. When a loving father asks me to obey him, he is doing so because he wants the best for me, not because he wants to prolong my suffering. And so this makes me look at this a little different. Yes, I don't know what you've gone through. Neither do you know what I have gone through. But I will share a little bit of that today and how it relates to this process of realizing that there is no limitation to who we should forgive and how many times. I want to tell you a story that I think you guys will, you guys will like. Um, and it's the story of a guy called Jake DeShazer. How many of you have heard of Jake DeShazer before? Right, good, I found something new that's from your culture. Great. It's, Jake DeShazer was a bombardier in the, in the U.S. Uh, Army. And he got assigned to a company of Colonel, Colonel James Doolittle, who was tasked with the mission to retaliate um, to the attack that happened at Pearl Harbor. And so he was a, he was a guy that um, he dropped bombs from planes. So there was other people flying the planes to where they needed to be, but he was the guy sitting at the station where they needed to drop the bombs from. And so Jake was happy to be a part of this mission to retaliate on what Japan had done to the U.S. And uh, um, he resented Japan with every fiber of his being. In fact, it was said that he had grown so, so angry and mad at them that he couldn't wait to just be, you know, doing what the mission told them to, that they needed to go and do. And uh, um, the problem was that you can't really reach, Jap they couldn't at that point really reach Japan by, by, by plane. 
to be able to, to, to do this mission, to fulfill this mission. And so um, they were trying to do, look at how can, how can we do this? And um, then somebody came up with a brilliant idea of measuring how long it takes for some of these airplane bombers to take off. And what he found was that that was about the same length as one of these airport ship carriers. And so the crazy idea came, well, why don't we ship the planes close enough and then we take off from the ships that had never been done before. Now we think of it's commonplace. But at that time, it had never been done before. And so they got the task. They said, good, we will take these, these planes close enough and then we will literally, we will, we will take off from the ships. They practiced it. They realized it's, it, it's possible to be done. They practiced the length on ground and then they shipped them. And so Jake was part of this company, and on 18th of April, they took off from these ships, these ship carriers, these airplane carriers. And the only problem was that they took off too early because there was an unknown vessel, in, a Japanese vessel in the ocean that they didn't account for, and that vessel alerted Japan of their approach. And so their cover was blown. And they had to decide, are we going to go forward with this mission, or are we just going to, are we, are we going to restructure and replan? And they realized that it was too important a thing for them to go forward with the mission, and that they would just have to get the planes in the air straight away, knowing that they would not have enough fuel to bring them to the safe places where they needed to land on mainland China. Mainland China at the time was, um, was, was, was uh, controlled by Japan, and they did this. They went, they went, and they successfully completed their mission, but they couldn't successfully complete their return mission. And so what they had to do is they literally just had to fly their planes until it ran out of fuel, and then they all had to bail. And every single one of the crew bailed, and every single one of the planes went down. And so they parachuted down into China, but nowhere close to where they needed to be to find safe company. And um, some of them were captured. Many of them made it to safe, made safe passages by, by Chinese nationals who were friendly, um, and they brought them to, to their, to their uh, meeting place where they met their own uh, command. But some of them were captured. In fact, eight of them were captured. And Jake DeShazer was one of these guys who got captured. And then they ended up enduring about three years of absolute, absolute, inhumane torture and treatment. In fact, it was so bad because the Japanese, in Japanese culture at that time, to take a defeat, to be defeated, was considered so shameful that you would rather end your life when you, when you, when you lose and when you, or before you get captured. So their soldiers, if they ever ended up being captured, they would fall in their own swords, proverbially speaking, because it was shameful to lose. And so for them, these men were cowards for not taking their lives when they got captured. So they treated them not only, you know, to try and get the information out of them with disrespect, they treated them with disdain because they thought that they were nothing. And... Um, and that's what they went through. For, for two years and, 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 and a half years, they went through these excruciating treatment of, 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 of solitary confinement and barely having any nutrition food um, and, and just being tortured. Um, and so it was around about this, well, it's told of Jake that he was, he, he was brought up in a, in, a, in a Christian home, but he'd rejected the faith when he was young already, and he was just an angry man. He was just, he hated the Japanese, and this treatment only made that worse. He just hated them with a passion. He wanted revenge on them with a passion. Um, and then around about four months before they got, before they got, uh, before they got out, because they did get out, um, well, four of them got out, the Somebody decided that they needed to get these guys some books to read. I don't know if they were losing it because I've read up on some of the things that happen to you in solitary confinement, and many people end up losing their, you know, their grip on reality. Um, and, and so they, they brought them some books to read because it's something tangible that just calls you back to, you know, to real 
real life and makes you get your sanity back. And, 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 and they don't know whether this was by accident or whether this was actually somebody on the inside trying to help them out. One of those books was a Bible. And Jake got a hold of this Bible, and he was reading the Gospels, and he was reading through the account where Jesus was tortured. And Jesus, you know, Jesus was, 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 um, was crucified, and as he was hanging there, he would say these words, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And it gripped his heart so much, and he realized that these Japanese men were simply men who did not know that they were doing and then he realized, I am just simply a man who did not know what I was doing in trying to bomb them and kill them. And he came to personal repentance right there in the prison. And his life started slowly but surely moving from hatred and seeking vengeance to actually finding that he had pity on these people for not knowing that they needed Jesus. And he desired to be able to talk to them about it. Anyway, so four months forward, um, one night he gets this dream that they're getting out, and the way they would communicate with one another was to talk through the urinal. Now, you know you're desperate for company if you're willing to talk through a urinal. So they're like, hey, man, we're getting out. God revealed me in a dream. We're getting out today. And the other guy was like, stop playing around. You know, he's like, no, really, I believe we're going to get out. And sure enough, end of that day, they were out. They got saved through another miraculous event, but they were out. And um, Jake went home, got to come home and, you know, tell his story, etc. But shortly after he came home, he enrolled in Bible college. Guess why? Because three years later, he got on a ship with his family and he went back to Japan. This time not to bomb them, but this time to bring the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ to that nation. Forgiveness had completely and utterly transformed that man from a hateful vengeance-seeking, revenge-seeking individual to somebody that loved the very people who tortured him and the very people who had hurt America so badly. I want to tell you another story, but one thing I get about that, the story of Jake is that often our destiny is linked to how we respond to the things that happen in our lives. And if Jake never forgave those people, and if he never came to faith in Jesus himself, he would have missed what God was going to do through his life. You see, what happened when he went back is he met up with his prison guards, those who had tortured him. And he shared the love of Jesus with them. And they were so intrigued by the fact that this man who they know they personally had tortured would come and tell them that God loves them and that He loved them and that He has a message of hope for them. Many of them received Jesus into their own hearts and became Christians. And Jake went on to plant three churches and lead a movement that planted 24 churches in Japan, spreading the kingdom of God all over Japan. It's amazing. Even one of the captains on one of the planes who bombed Pearl Harbor met with him. And he was able to lead that guy to the Lord as well. I don't know about you, but that for me is incredible. But it would not have happened if Jake didn't get to the place to forgive. There's another lady who went through just unthinkable things. Her name is Corrie Ten Boom. And her and her family resisted what German Nazis were doing, and they hid Jews in their homes. Soon they were found out, and they got thrown with her family in concentration camps. Um, though Corey barely survived, none of her family did. In fact, her sister was the last to die, and she was in the same concentration camp um, that Corey was in. After she came out, she went about telling people, you know, about her faith in Christ and how that had helped her get through the time um, in the concentration camp. And it was on one occasion where she was preaching, coincidentally on the topic of forgiveness, that she looked to the back, and there in the back corner, she saw a man whom she knew so well, because this was one of the most cruelest prison guards that was at the same camp where they were put. And this man had literally tortured them, abused them, and killed her sister. 
And as she closed her talk, she, you know, the unthinkable thing happened, and this man came walking up to her. And she was just standing there, not knowing how to get out of the situation. But there was this man. And he came up and he said, and, and, and as he walked, as he came close to her, he stretched out his hand towards her and he said, Thank you for that fine message. How wonderful it is to know that all our sins are at the bottom of the sea, because that is what she had said during her message. Later she recounts that she'd spoken so easily of God's forgiveness, but here was a man whom she despised and condemned with every fiber of her being. She couldn't take his hand. She couldn't extend forgiveness to this Nazi oppressor. And she realized that this man didn't remember her. Then he said, you mentioned Ravensbrook in your, in your message. I was a guard there. And I'm ashamed to admit it, but it's true. But since then, I've come to know Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and, and it's been really hard for me to forgive myself for all the cruel things I did, but I know God has forgiven me. And, and please, if you would, if you would just, I just would like to hear from you that God had forgiven me. And he stood there, and she said, I couldn't take his hand. Why is it so difficult for us to forgive? It's like the Bible says, hey, make, you know, give, give, give opportunity for other people's offenses. Make room for their mistakes and be kind and compassionate to one another and forgive one another. It's like it should be so easy, it seems. You know, if somebody hits you on the one side, one cheek, just turn the other cheek, you know. It's like, hey, forgive. It's like, I'm like, man, I read that, and it, it seems to me that it's almost coming to me to say, hey, this shouldn't be difficult to you. Come on, do it. And I'm like, dang, man, that's, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. Why is it that we struggle so much to forgive? And I believe that that's, I'm going to share three keys with you today that will help you to get beyond being stuck in unforgiveness. Because it's clear what the Bible commands us to do, but how do I get there? And why is it so impossible for me to think that I can, I can forgive? The first thing I want us to consider today is the fact that we forget our own depravity. In that moment when you're faced with a decision to forgive somebody, in that moment you forget, we forget how much we've been forgiven of. Because the pain in that moment might be so big. The reality of the consequence that we are facing as a result of the offense might be so big that it overshadows for a brief moment our, or our, our knowledge of our own depravity. It overshadows the fact that we owed so much more of a debt to God than this person right in front of me is owing to me. Now, I know that this might feel like the most ridiculous thing that somebody has ever told you. Because I went through hell. I went through personal hurt, physical hurt. Somebody did something to me that was just unthinkable. How can you say that I have a bigger debt than that guy has toward me? And this is probably one of the most difficult ones that you're going to have to understand today. When the Bible compares the kingdom of God to a master who settled accounts, he describes our situation before God as one of unpayable debt. I can never make up for what I have missed before God. And it describes every other offense that man has towards each other as something that is completely uncomparable to our own debt before God. See, you weren't just a bad person. You were dead in your sin. And you were not just a person who had been dealt a bad hand. You were an enemy of God. You were an enemy 
of God. And if, if you can understand the depravity of man outside of Jesus, you can for the first time in truth um, appreciate the fullness of what Jesus had done for us on the cross. Because if you were just having a bad day, Jesus didn't do all that much for you. If you were just dealt a bad hand, Jesus didn't do as much for you as if, if you were his enemy and if you were lost and dead in your sin and there was no way out of it. And Jesus came and he plucked you out of all that. That is the truth. And if we struggle to forgive, it's because we struggle to realize how much we've been forgiven of. That's the first thing. And if you'll follow along with the rest, you'll see that there is, as you break through each of these things, it literally puts you in a place where you're going to become able to forgive people around you. The second thing is we want justice before we're willing to extend forgiveness. Don't we? We want to avenge ourselves for what had happened to us. And until that person says he's sorry, and until that person comes begging for forgiveness, I will never forgive them. Because they have to know how bad they hurt me. They have to know how wrong it was, what they did towards me. The problem with that stance is that we... We, we try and replace God's function and God's role in the situation. Here's what the Bible says, Hebrews 10.30. For we know Him who said, it is mine to avenge. I will repay. And again, it says, the Lord will judge His people. Some of you have misquoted that verse and you've, you've went, vengeance is fine, says the Lord. That's not what it says. The Bible says vengeance is mine, which means that I need to step out of that place and allow God to be God in the situation. What is His job in the situation? His job is to make justice prevail in the situation. The reason we hold on to justice this strong is this. We think that justice will take away the pain. We think if, if that guy gets paid back for what he did, I will find closure and I will get healing. And we say, hey, if, and if nothing to this person is happening, I don't want to let them go because if they did it to me, they're doing it to other people. And how will he ever know that he's doing wrong things? How will he ever know how much he hurt me? How will he ever know in how much debt he is toward me if I don't keep reminding him that he is still guilty before me? He owes me something. Right? We want justice. And let me just, let me just pause here and take a, a slight detour. Justice is extremely important to Jesus. And to God. God is not just a God of love. He's a God of love, but He's also a God of justice. Yes, I know that. If God was not a God of justice, He didn't have to let Jesus die on a cross to make an opportunity for us to connect back to Him. He could have just gone, hey, for you guys, it's okay. I'm a love God of love. You're good. Don't worry about it. I'll look over it. But then if he doesn't do the same for everybody, and what about, now he's showing favoritism. He's not a just God if he shows favoritism. You see, he had to deal with justice in a way, he had to deal with sin in a way that was just in order for him to remain just. And so when he dealt with sin on the cross, what he was doing was he was paying the penalty of sin so that he could satisfy the legal requirement for sin. The legal requirement for payment for sin. But here's why he did it. He did it because he's a God of love and he hates the fact that you and I are separated from him and because of that will 
bear the consequences of our separation. He hates that fact. He wants us to be connected to Him. He wants us to be in relationship with Him. He wants us to have forgiveness of our sin, but He couldn't just brush over it. He had to punish sin to satisfy both His love and His justness. And so justice is important to God. If He did not spare Jesus the justice, it means it is important of utmost importance to Him. Therefore, if you see Him as the God who will take care of the justice part, He will avenge the situation, and you step out of it, what you're doing is you're allowing Him to do what He's meant to do. And you're taking a weight off your shoulders. Here's what's happening with us. We take the weight of holding people accountable. We take that on our shoulders. And then it crushes us. It vexes our soul to the point where literally we become consumed with what was done to us. To the point where what was done to us even starts redefining to us our identity. We become what we have experienced. We feel like we give no way out of it. And it's all because we took on a responsibility that was never ours to carry. It's only the divine hand and the strong shoulders of Jesus that can bear the responsibility to affect justice. And you have to let that go and let Him deal with that for you. If you do not, it will crush you. See, the principle there is to be found in, in, in Matthew 18, 34. In anger, the master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured. You're not forgiving, you're not releasing, and you're keeping that responsibility on your shoulders will be like torture to you. And that thing will control your life. That thing can control your life. In order for you to be able to forgive you need to let God be God and do what is His job to do, and you need to do what your job is to do. And the last reason why, well, let me just first share with you how, how justice is an empty promise. I mentioned justice makes you feel like if justice prevails, the hurt will go away. Well, my, my grandpa was murdered when I was 11 years old for building material. He used to serve his community by selling building material, and the community loved him, called him their father. And so when he got killed, it wasn't the police who caught the perpetrators. It was the community who delivered them out to the police because they said, you killed our father. They're in jail right now. They don't have an opportunity for parole. They'll die in jail. Justice, right? Sure. Only that it never satisfied my, my desire for justice. Before I found forgiveness in my heart to them, I wanted them to die. I wanted them to die a worse death than my, dad, my granddad died. That would have been, I thought, justice for me. But I realized that justice is an empty promise and that would... Even after we had legal justice, it didn't take away the pain. It didn't take away the anger. It didn't bring me healing of any sort. I was finally able to move on beyond that when I chose to forgive those men and allow God to deal with them. When I was able to take them off of my hook and say, I won't wish any other accountability on them, I will release them unto God. I will not hold them in debt towards myself, towards me any longer. I will release them unto God. Then what the Bible says, I cast my cares and my burdens upon Jesus, and He took care of me. He healed me. A couple of years later, somebody stole about, about um, upwards of $100,000, this was 20 years ago, from my dad through a business deal. That went, that went weird. And, and they got away with it. I never got justice for that. In fact, that was the reason why I grew up in poverty, because my dad never recovered financially from that knock. That was the reason why I was ridiculed at school for wearing other kids' clothes that I got at the second-hand store. 
That was the reason why my socks would peel out under my soles or my feet because I couldn't buy new shoes and, and being, being ridiculed for that. That was the reason why I encountered bullying and so much pain during my school years. I wish that those people would also die. I wish that they would be thrown away, thrown in jail and the key thrown away. I wish that they would never do a business deal ever again with anybody. I wished every little bit of harm that could come to them, I wished on them. Until I realized that's not going to get me what I want. What I want is I want to be able to heal from the hurt of my past and all the things that I had to go through. And in order to do that, I had to let God avenge. And I had to let it go. I had to decide to forgive. It's not easy. One of the reasons why we, the third reason why we don't, um, you know, muster up the ability to forgive is because we don't understand the healing process of forgiveness. We don't understand that healing takes time. But here's the thing. It always starts with a decision. Healing always starts with a decision. And here's why. It's a decision to trust and obey what God says in the Word. If I don't, if I refuse to forgive, right, what I'm saying is, Lord, I don't trust your process. I don't trust your Word. This is not going to work for me. But if I make, if I realize that, and I realize that this guidance that I'm receiving from God was designed to give me what I need, and I obey it in trust, all of a sudden it kicks a process into, um, into being that leads to my not just healing, but reestablishing of who I am in restoration before, um, before God. Now, because it's so difficult to come to this decision, the, the, like, the best breakthroughs I've had in this was when I did this with some other people. If I had a friend with me or a spiritual leader or somebody with me or, my, or one time my brother with me, and I decided that I, I, I needed to forgive somebody, but I wanted to, I wanted to share what, what happened with me. And in sharing what happened with me to somebody, I could hear these words and words that I want to give to you today. What happened to you was wrong. It was wrong. And it should never have happened to you. God never intended this to happen to you. This is not His heart for you. And you are right to be hurt. I needed to hear that. And I know you need to hear that today. It is okay to be hurt. It is okay to be angry. It is okay to have frustration about it in your heart. The emotions are not wrong. It was wrong. It is not wrong to have hurt. But here's what is wrong. Withholding forgiveness is wrong. And it's wrong in two ways. It's wrong towards God because it communicates distrust. And it's wrong towards you because it keeps you bound in that hurt. God's plan for you is to move beyond the hurt, to heal you and to restore you. But you have to follow His process. You have to engage His process. And that is why you have to start with this decision. You have to give God a chance by letting Him avenge and you taking the stance of, I am going to let this person off the hook. Now, let me just say that when it comes to justice, justice is necessary for recompense. Like when somebody committed a crime and they need to pay for what they did. Justice is also necessary for reconciliation. If we're going to have a relationship with, again, I need to hear from you that you're sorry for what you did. Justice is also necessary for restitution. If you want me to trust you again and to partner up with you again and to walk the journey alongside you, I need to hear that you're willing to make up for what you did wrong. 
And today I'm not talking about recompense, reconciliation, and restitution. I'm talking about you getting to that breakthrough where you're able to forgive and to move on for you, to get healing for you so that you can get beyond the hurt and you can reconnect with what God wants for you. You see, it starts with a decision. It has to start with you saying, Lord, I will let you avenge and I will forgive as I in Christ have been forgiven by you. I, I accept that and I, I will do it. And so today I will I'll forgive that person. But then it, 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 it kicks the next thing into process. It's the practice of forgiveness. There's a decision to forgive, but then, there, then there's a practice of forgiveness that works that decision into your reality. What, what's the reality? Hey, there are consequences. There might be a business failure that you have to deal with. You might have fallen pregnant, and there's a baby. You might have been, you might have been cheated, and now there's another woman or another man, and all of a sudden there's a blended family, and these are realities that we're going to have to deal with. They're not just going to go away, but because they're not going to go away, we need to make sure that the... The forgiveness decision gets worked into every one of those realities. To forgive is not to just go, oh, whatever, I'm going to ignore what happened and it should all be just hunky-dory from here on end. No, it means that I'm going to engage what happened with the truth that Jesus says in His Word that in all things He is working for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. It is not Him who brought that on us. It is Him because stuff happens in life because life is messed up. But He is right there in it. And when stuff happens, He immediately starts working in order to redeem that so that His purpose can still come to bear on your life. And He will do that for you if you allow Him to do that and you do this. But if you try to step into His seat of making it all good, man then he can't deal with it. But this is where we need to find ourselves, letting him deal with the justice. I decide to forgive. And whenever I deal with that, with, with, with the reality of what I'm facing, I need to apply my faith to say, Lord, I forgive that person. I declare him free. He doesn't owe me anything anymore. And here's how you start dealing with that. That's the third thing that starts happening. You Get an identity transformation. If you take the Word of God and you start replacing the lies that the situation has preached at you. You see, the situation happened and it told you you're vulnerable. It told you you're never going to recover. It told you that you're not worthy. It told you that, that you're not good enough. But if you will bring this process to bear on your life, Psalm 147 says, He heals the brokenhearted and He binds up their wounds. Here's how you do it. You connect with the healed you that is beyond this situation. How do I do that? You take the Scripture, the Word of God that declares His promises over you, that declares identity over you, that tells you who He sees you as His son and daughter. You take those Scriptures and you apply it to whatever situation you find yourself in. For instance, you neglected me. You weren't there for me when I needed you. You make me feel like I'm worth nothing. You take what the Bible says about you. It says, well, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And God so loved me and the world that He gave His Son on my behalf. I am worth more than how this situation treated me. Now your identity starts reconnecting to the you that is going to get healed, to the you that God is going to release into His purpose and His destiny. A healed you. And the situation, the hurt of the situation starts fading because you're getting healed you're getting healed see we often believe the lies that come with the things that, are, that, are get, that get done to us you know it's like you oppressed me I'm a victim of oppression and therefore I will never be able to advance in life it's a lie the Bible says he gives justice to the oppressed and food to the hungry the Lord frees the prisoners 
Psalm 92. With my God, I can run against the troop. I can jump over any obstacle. But see, you need to connect with that healed you. You need to connect with the identity of Scripture about your life before you'll be able to find the healing settle in your heart. But if you do it, you will connect. You will see how God changes the pain and through that releases His purpose. 2 Peter 3 verse 1 says, I have been given all things that pertain unto life and godliness. If you have put your faith in Jesus, you have been given everything you need in order to do this. And if you do this, you'll be able to say with Jesus, Father, forgive that person for they know not what they do. Even if they knew what they did, Lord, forgive them. I leave judgment to you. I want to end with Corey's story. Corey Ten Boom. She said, I stood there, I whose sins had again and again been forgiven, and I could not forgive. It could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out, but to me it seemed hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I had ever had to do. For I had to do it. I knew that it was as simple and as horrible as that. And still I stood there with a coldness clutching my heart. And then, woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. As I did that, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder and raced down my arm and sprang into our joined hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes as I cried out, I forgive you, brother, with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands. The former God and the former prisoner had never known God's love and healing so intensely as I did then. What happened to you that's causing you to struggle to forgive? It was wrong. It was wrong. It's not wrong to be hurt, it's okay to be hurt. But if you want to get through it, if you want to connect with what God has for you beyond it, leave vengeance to Him today and decide to forgive. I want to facilitate us in a prayer. Can we all stand? This prayer has helped me deal with so many hurts in my life so that I have no more desire of vengeance towards anybody who wronged me in any way at all but first of all how do we forgive number one thank God that he has forgiven you thank God that he has forgiven you second take an account of the pain and the reality that this offense has caused because that's what you're going to have to work this decision through in faith that He will redeem even the most gravest of consequences that you're currently facing. Then realize that God says something different about you than what that offense says about you. You are not your hurt. You're a child of God. And then if you will today make the decision, decide that you will no longer hold that person accountable for what they had done and you will entrust justice to God and you will set them free. God will deal with it justly. He will deal with it either in this life or He will deal with it in the next but He will deal with it. And you can trust Him with that. You can take that weight off your shoulders today. And you can let Him be your judge. Can we all close our eyes and pray this prayer? And I want to facilitate this prayer, but you're going to have to fill in some blanks here because part of it says, Father, I choose to forgive. And then you need to, you need to put a name in there. If there is anybody that you need to forgive today, 
This is how we're going to do it. You can, I'm going to lead you in this prayer, and then you're going to call that person's name or that organization or that boss or that parent or that child or that teacher or, you know, whatever it is that you're currently facing. You're going, that guy that did that to me, that girl that rejected me at that place. You're going to put that name in there, and then you're going to say, I forgive them for that time that day. And then I want you to describe what they did and how that it hurt you. Can you do that? You're not going to do this out loud. This is going to be a silent prayer today because I want you to be able to be real personal with God right now. Let's all close our eyes and pray. Father, I choose today to forgive for that time that day. I decide today that I will no longer hold them accountable as I trust you to deal with them and let justice prevail. I declare them free of their debt toward me. I say that they don't owe me anything anymore. I set them free. Lord, I receive who you say in your word, I am. And I thank you for restoring unto me what was taken and healing my heart of this hurt. In Jesus' name. If you, can we all just stay in this moment? If you have never asked God to forgive you of your sin, if you have never made a decision to repent of your sin before God and ask Him to forgive you of your sin, and, and today you want to ask Him to forgive you of your sin, because you want to become a child of God. You would like to be included in His family. I want to pray with you so that you can receive that forgiveness once for all and you can become a child of God. So if you've never, ever prayed a prayer where you confessed your faith in Jesus and repented of your sin, I want you to put your hand up right now. We're going to pray. Just right there where you are. Everybody's eyes closed. You just put your hand up. Thank you. I see that hand. One, two, three, four, five. I see those hands. Just keep putting them up. If you want to be included in this, pray. I see those hands at the back. Thank you. I see that hand at the back. You can put your hand down again. Thank you. Ten people. Pray this with me. Pray it out loud. Pray it so that you can hear yourself saying it. I'm going to facilitate you in a prayer of repentance and of prayer of, of faith towards God. And the Bible says that when you pray this prayer sincerely, something happens on the inside of your heart. You become born again. What was dead gets made alive in Christ Jesus and you become a child of God that is born by the will of the Spirit of God that works this miracle inside of your heart. So let's all pray. Father, let's just pray this out loud. Everybody to support. Father, I admit that I am a sinner. And today I want to ask you to forgive me of my sin. Jesus, I believe that you died for this. And you rose from the dead to overcome this on my behalf. Today I commit my life and my faith to you. You are my Lord and my Savior. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.